run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of My Ruby Story. This week, we're talking to Sudhindra Rao. I, I think I said that right. I always worry with uh, names that aren't like straight up English. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is right. You said it right. Uh, do you want to just give a brief introduction before we get going? Uh, yeah, uh, a little bit about myself. I have been working in the Ruby community for, I think, last uh, more than 10 years now. Uh, because I started in early 2007 and uh, haven't stopped since. I have done uh, a bunch of Ruby work, uh, starting with uh, working on a media platform, then working on a uh, you know eBay-like bidding site, uh, working actually on a voter campaigning system uh, for national elections. Uh, the last time we talked, uh, we obviously talked about Mingle on uh, JRuby, which is a product from ThoughtWorks. Mm-hmm. Uh, Recently, actually, uh, after we talked last time, I have been doing some healthcare stuff, like doing improving lives of people with diabetes with Ruby. Uh, and, um, and then I have moved on uh, after that. <clears throat> nice. That's really interesting. I might dig into that a little bit more. I, I'm diabetic, mm-hmm. so um, okay. interesting stuff. Uh, we had you on episode 194. Yeah, and we talked about JRuby and, and things like that. Um, yeah. Now, uh, I'm curious, you know, so you, you, you mentioned that you moved on to other things. You're still doing Ruby, right? I'm still doing Ruby, but I have become a little more, you know, language agnostic. Uh, even in my last gig, which is what I was talking about, like I worked with a company called uh, Gluco, where I did some healthcare stuff. Uh, basically, Gluco is an app that uh, allows people with uh, diabetes to record their entire regimen in starting from food, their medication, their exercise, and put it puts it on a dashboard where their uh, doctor or themselves, they can compare how they're doing on their regimen, if they are staying in the, within range and stuff like that. And that was completely built in uh, Ruby, the, the basic platform. But then around that platform, we built a bunch of tools that were not Ruby. We used a lot of cloud technologies. We... We did some uh, data engineering work, uh, which was not uh, which was not necessary to be. There was some R, there was some Python, uh, there was some database stuff going on. Awesome, very cool. Well, let's go ahead and uh, dig into your story, and we'll just start way back at the very beginning. How did you get yeah. into programming? Uh, yeah, so a little bit of uh, history behind that was I basically uh, started as an electrical engineer. Uh, there's a program called instrumentation engineering. That's how specific it gets uh, back in India. And I did learn a bunch of control systems. I did, uh, you know, learn about 
uh, how uh, measurement works, how to put the right measurement in the right place. And along with that, a lot of uh, programming came along, uh, which was mostly to put logic in place to put the right uh, uh, to turn the right lever based on a based on a measurement. And then uh, I I did my master's in control systems and and uh, got into healthcare a little bit. And my first foray was actually designing um, and working with X-ray systems. But when I was doing that, along with image processing, uh, I was doing a, a lot more of understanding how uh, the whole software uh, works. Like how does how does X-ray get, uh, get stored and uh, displayed and how people can manipulate that image and things like that. And when doing that, there was a lot of interacting with the operating system. This was the day when Windows NT uh, was used for this kind of stuff. Oh, wow. And Yes. So I, I used like Windows 3.11 and then Windows NT4 uh, that was uh, on, on our uh, systems. And uh, basically it had uh, what are still the key pieces of how an operating system uh, manages uh, workloads and how operating system manages to prioritize processes and stuff like that. And we had to do some real-time imaging because, you know, you're you're actually looking at a patient uh, under the X-ray machine. Uh, so you had to you had to do some real-time manipulations and I learned some of that. Uh, and then I got really interested in the guts of the operating systems. And then I, I said, this is what I'm doing next. I, I really uh, like this. I, I really want to pursue this. And I uh, and I applied and found myself uh, within a year's time at the uh, University of Cincinnati doing uh, doing my master's in operating systems. Actually, that's really interesting. Yeah, and that's that's basically how I started. You know, going deeper and deeper into computer science and computer engineering. Interesting. So you have a master's degree in what electrical engineering? I have a master's degree in electrical engineering and a master's degree in computer engineering. Ah, uh, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I have a bachelor's degree in computer engineering, so I, I know some of the differences there between the two degrees. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, so you, you get into programming, you're doing operating system stuff, which depending yeah. on what you're working on can get pretty low level. It, it does, it did. And my uh, master's thesis actually involved uh, building uh, some device drivers uh, to build a cache. Uh, to to efficiently store data. Um, so basically, a LRU cache that that you write to first, and then that that uh, sort of gets promoted to the hard disk, and then that gets eventually saved. Uh, there was a paper that uh, one of my colleagues uh, from that lab had written, and we were doing the implementation on Linux. That's that's amazing. And I I took some classes. I took an operating systems class in college, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you know, we built the least recently used caches and. Uh, you know, yeah. paging and all of that stuff. And wow, I mean, some of it gets pretty hairy and you don't have all of the tools or, you know, ways of debugging yes. that, that you typically have when you're talking about things like uh, Ruby or JavaScript or, you know, the higher level languages where, level languages. yeah, you're not yeah. working, you're not working so close to the actual metal. Yeah, it's a printf is your best friend, and yeah. and that's where you start and figure out what else can you know and can you dump memory and can you find out what is in that piece of memory and and so on. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, listener, we we did have a little bit of audio issue, so we switched headphones. Uh, hopefully, it sounds a little bit better here, from here on going in. So, so yeah, so you you go from doing the kind of the the hairy stuff where yeah, I mean. 
you wind up doing the debugging by printing out what, what you've got in memory, in registers, or just, you know, what the state of things are. How do you get back out to the land of working in Ruby? Ruby applications. Yeah, actually, uh, uh, and I, I did uh, not just operating systems, but some other courses. I did some networking courses, and uh, we did some little bit of advanced algorithms. And in some of in doing some of that, I got introduced to uh, Java, and I started dabbling into that. And that uh, was again a new world looking at the virtual machine and how that behaved. And it, it was like an operating system itself, right? You could think of it that way. And uh, that was interesting. And I got into uh, application uh, programming. Uh, and that's how I found ThoughtWorks when I was, you know, looking out for a job once I finished uh, my, my studies. And that's how I started doing some application development. I found that I still could use the chops that I had uh, when I learned all the operating system and computer architecture and compilers especially, uh, and how they all came together uh, to build this application, to make this perform application performant, uh, to put the right thing in the right place. Uh, and that's how I ended up being a programmer for in the application space. And then once I started doing that, the uh, I think these tools uh, helped me a lot and uh, helped me a lot in terms of uh, staying, having to, you know, being able to debug things in a in a much nicer, cleaner way, and not having to deal with uh, the nitty gritty details of uh, the underlying operating system. Gotcha. So, so yes, yeah, so you were working at ThoughtWorks. Are you still at ThoughtWorks, or are you somewhere else now? No, I have I have moved on actually. Uh, so I uh, I was with ThoughtWorks the last time we talked, and then I had then I moved on to a company called Gluco, the the one uh-huh. that did the diabetes data. Stuff and now actually I have recently moved out and I'm doing I'm working with the company called uh, Sehej uh, where we are establishing uh, the U.S. operations for uh, for building you know solutions that are simple that work and that get you to the market um, uh, fast. So that's that's what we are working on. Uh, it is more more of a consulting services industry still. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. That makes sense. So what, what kinds of things have you done with Ruby that you're proud of or that you want to talk about? Oh, actually, yeah. So my journey with Ruby was, uh, you know, I, I started as a regular programmer uh, working on Java and C Sharp. Uh, on the way, actually, I learned a uh, small programming language called Boo. I don't know if you have heard of that, but that that runs on the .NET uh, CLR. Okay. Uh, and that's that was my first, uh, you know, foray into dynamic languages. And I was like, oh, this this is cool. And uh, eventually, I ended up actually on a project uh, that uh, Obi Fernandez was doing when he was at ThoughtWorks, and uh, he was building he was building a rules engine of sorts, like a reward rewards program. If you can think like, hey, uh, Chuck just went to Target and spent hundred dollars, so let's send him a gift card of five dollars or whatever. So that kind of a rules engine we were building, and I was I was uh, tasked with you know writing. Uh, data-driven uh, tests to verify that the, those rules work and putting those rules in place and going across all data sets. And uh, while doing that, we were using Ruby to test it. And I learned a lot in terms of how Ruby works, uh, how I could actually use some of the metaprogramming stuff uh, to uh, to insert data, to learn about the data itself while I'm doing testing. So and and given I came from the Java world, uh, that was like an like a, a, an eye opener for me. I was like just blown away 
like if I can do this, I can actually look at the internals without causing any damage to those internals. Uh, this is it. This is what I, w- I want to do. And I, I just fell in love uh, with Ruby. And I then did a bunch of other uh, work in Ruby. Uh, one of them was building the media site. Uh, as, I, as I said, this was like a media social networking site for people hopping from bars or going to social events like music concerts and then putting their uh, putting their experiences up on the web for people other people to look at and like that's cool uh, and and it sounds like a lot of the the work you've done has been more on the building apps and uh, you know providing solutions to people it, yeah it seems like a lot of people fall into a number of camps usually it's uh, they either contribute open source or they um, they create content, you know, which is kind of where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they do some kind of documentation or training, or you know, they're out there building apps for companies. And it's yeah. it's it's really interesting to me in some ways to see what types of personalities and what kinds of people gravitate to which one. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times what we wind up with is we wind up with people kind of having the idea that hey, you know, I'm going to go into code and that means that I have to be this kind of person that does this kind of thing. And mm-hmm. and so I, I love just seeing the, the wide array of experiences that people have. Mm-hmm. So what is it about building apps and solutions that appeals to you above maybe some of these other options? Oh, just, just the thrill um, of, you know, delivering this app. Like you have created this thing and tomorrow somebody's going to use it and they are, uh, you know, it's just phenomenal. The, the experience that they have at the end of it, once you have built it, that that feeling is is what I am what I am uh, looking forward to. I know that you know today I start on this on this work, and three months down the line, somebody's going to say this is great, or this has helped me so much that I don't have to do all of these things uh, uh, that I used to do, you know, in a mundane way. Like the, one of the examples actually that we presented at one of uh, one of the conferences was about how we built a whole data center provisioning system. And this was the day when, this was before Amazon or before Heroku and all those things became uh, cool. Uh, basically, it took uh, uh, it took Rackspace at that time about seven to eight days from procurement all the way to provisioning after you have ordered, uh, you know, that you wanted a machine to run your application on it. And we built a piece of or pieces of software that that just shortened this whole process to a few hours. So imagine imagine the thrill on on the on the on the faces of those people uh, who are tasked with actually provisioning that or actually talking to the customer when the customer says, "Hey, I got this machine in less than a day. Previously, it was take me take me ten days or sometimes uh, two weeks uh, after I place my order." So that 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 feeling is what uh, I'm going after. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. It's it's funny. I mean, I, I get some of the same um, the same payoff from the podcast is just a little bit different where it's, mm-hmm. you know, I put this thing out there, somebody listened to it and it helped them. Yep. You know, for you, it's I, I built this thing, I put it out there, somebody used it and things got better. Mm-hmm. So interesting, very interesting. And and I wonder sometimes if if a lot of that driver really is similar across a lot of these things and it's really just what we're bent toward that makes the difference. Yeah. So what are you working on now? 
Uh, now, actually, uh, we are, so with Sahaj, uh, we started uh, looking at problems in the data engineering, uh, from the data engineering aspect, like handling data, handling large scales of data, making sense out of the data, uh, providing tools uh, to people who want to build machine learning on top of the data, m- managing that data in, in, with, with the tools that are that are available out there, like uh, recommending uh, use of uh, the tools that are available on the, on the cloud platform, whether they should use Amazon Redshift or use Amazon Kinesis or uh, use a, a particular uh, machine learning um, uh, system provided by either Google Cloud Platform or or uh, or anybody else, and then bring that so, that solution to to the person who is actually going to uh, write the machine learning algorithm or do some data science on it. And we did some of that uh, when when I was at uh, at Google. What we have had is all of this diabetes data, and people are interested in looking at trends uh, mm-hmm. around uh, how people of the similar age or of the similar uh, lifestyle do uh, uh, in terms of uh, managing their diabetes. And that is really helpful in, in providing inputs uh, to people who are struggling you know, to keep up uh, with their day-to-day uh, routine, uh, given that they have also to deal with diabetes. So providing that kind of insight, and we provide the engineering uh, for, for people to help uh, with that kind of insight. I think it's really interesting, and you're talking about diabetes, which really, which really hits me where I live, right? Because I, I live with this every day, and you know, so the things that I do affect my health and affect it, you know, probably in different ways than mm-hmm. other people do. So just seeing the fact that oh, we're gathering all this data and we're going to see what, you know, how how well people do, but I can easily see that growing into we're also going to see what people are doing that's effective. We're going to see yeah. what kinds of variations there are. You know, maybe you find out that type 2 diabetes is, you know, well, some people are like this kind of type 2 diabetes and some people are like that. And so, you know, the the general advice that people are given in one case, you know, there's better advice for people who fall under this other condition or something mm-hmm. like that. And yeah. it, I mean, it's the, the I don't know, to me, the the possibilities on a lot of this stuff are are just enormous. Yeah, you know some of these other areas that we don't understand as well. Just staying within healthcare, you know, with different kinds of cancers and uh, you know just different ways that we treat different people at different stages. You mm-hmm. know what? You know what? Can, what? What? What are we going to realize? You know, what, by sifting through enormous amounts of data in ways that we never could before. Yeah. You know, that's going to revolutionize revolutionize the way that we live. Yeah. And a number of customers actually are approaching Sahaj uh, with these kinds of uh, problems. So they're, they're, they're trying to solve this problem of, hey, I have this uh, enormous amount of data and I know there is something there I can look into and and provide a solution that we never could have thought of before. And we are trying to provide that gateway for them to look at that data in, in different ways. So one thing that I'm wondering, I, I'm aware that a lot of the... Uh, machine learning and data science stuff is done with Python as opposed to Ruby. Mm-hmm. So do you wind up doing both or are you doing a lot of this with Ruby or is there a different approach that I'm not asking about? Uh, actually, uh, there are more than just Python. But yes, uh, to answer your first question, yes, I do, I end up doing this in Ruby or Python or both. 
depending on uh, the situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what most people expect is an interface to Python because of uh, how mature Python is in terms of uh, sifting through this data, or, uh, the libraries that are available, and the techniques that are taught in school and, and the kind of experts that the schools produce. Right. Um, so, and uh, what I, I do is uh, provide uh, the engineering uh, with, uh, with the tools that fit the engineering. And uh, sometimes I just not even use Ruby in that, in that sense. I, I go with uh, whatever, uh, uh, whatever suits that particular uh, set of data or that particular set of data processing that we are doing. Uh, so sometimes it's just easy to, uh, you know, write up a, sm- a small snippet in Java and throw it on AWS Lambda and that does the trick. Uh, as far as, and uh, as far as the platform goes, then people who are actually looking through at that data, they run uh, either uh, Python scripts or uh, they run uh, scripts in R, uh, the language R, which does uh, statistical analysis and mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, and they just need an interface that that they can work with. And once you have given them, them the interface, then there are a ton of tools actually available in the market which you can plug and play. Uh, and what what people are grappling with, as I see, uh, is just providing this platform uh, so that they can plug in those tools. Gotcha. Well, um, the, the last thing that I usually ask in these interviews is for picks. This episode is sponsored by Linode. Linode is offering listeners of this podcast a $20 credit, which is good for four free months at their lowest plan. Their plans start at one gigabyte of RAM for $5 a month. You can get your servers in any of their 10 data centers, and their high memory plans start at 16 gigabytes. Get a server running in under a minute. They do hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services like backups, node balancers, long view, etc. VMs for full control, running Docker containers, encrypted disks, VPNs, etc. You can run a private Git server. They provide native SSD storage, 200 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors. They have 24-7 friendly support, even on holidays, and a seven-day money-back guaranteed. So go check them out at linode.com slash rubyrogues. So do you have some picks, some things you want to shout out about? Yep. Um, I, I made a short list. Um, so I just, I, I reread uh, the book, uh, Release It, and there is still so much stuff that, that applies. Uh, and I think uh, the, a, the second edition just came out, so I need to go and figure out uh, what, what new things he has said in that book. I think that book is by Michael Nygaard. Uh, I also re- I'm reading uh, the book Remote uh, by Jason Fried and uh, David Hanamer Hansen, just because now I am working in an environment uh, which has a lot of members that are remote, uh, just learning, uh, just le- relearning some of those tricks. Technology-wise, I have been impressed with the React toolchain, React.js, Redux, and just how it has... Fo- created a new formulation of the problem of building an uh, an application experience that was never possible before. Um, I also am starting to read uh, the book called Runaway Species. It talks about, uh, you know, how how humans are the most uh, equipped to, to build creative solutions and uh, just how, as a species, we have grown into these creative, uh, uh, creative uh, species that that can look at a problem that you have never thought of before, uh, and that is that is a that is an interesting take on how how we behave. And then uh, on uh, TV shows or just you know watching um, watching uh, other things, I 
I'm amazed why, by the quality of stuff that is on BBC Earth. They're just producing phenomenal stuff. Uh, and that brings you back to nature. There are some places that you will never, you can never imagine to go, and they are they are doing phenomenal work in capturing nature and animals and the habitats uh, so very well. And recently, I've enjoyed uh, watching or binge watching the Newsroom uh, TV series. I'm watching Suits. I find the music like a phenomenal match to what is happening on the TV series. And I recently enjoyed uh, Carmichael's show as well. And just it's a different take on uh, uh, what is going on uh, around us. Very cool. And uh, I, I just want to plug in here for my wife and thank her for one of the recipes that uh, she just uh, pulled up. Uh, she she discovered this eggless uh, cake, uh, apple carrot cake, uh, which is eggless and which is with uh, made with wheat flour. So using more and more natural ingredients and it still turns out really good and fluffy and like like a normal kick awesome very good very cool um i'm going to jump in here with a few picks of my own yeah um the first pick that i have well i'm going to pick two or three things so um my wife and i cut the the cable the tv cable uh back in what it's been almost two years and uh one of the things that we wound up doing is you know we have netflix and hulu and stuff like that and we watch mm-hmm. plenty of shows that way yeah. um but one of the things that uh we kind of missed or at least she missed was things like the disney channel and stuff like that you know that our kids really enjoyed yeah. and you can watch a lot of those shows on netflix but eventually you know you can only watch them so many times so many times just yeah. like i can't take it anymore anyway mm-hmm. there is a service out there called sling sling tv yeah. yep and what they do is they actually just stream you channels. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't get you the, your local channels. We have an antenna for that anyway. But it, you know, it does get you some of these other channels, including like Disney Channel. So we have like Disney Channel now and AMC and a bunch of these other channels that, you know, have some of the shows that we like to watch. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've, I've really, really just been happy to have it. You know, my and my kids watch it all the time. You know, my my daughters found some new shows on there on Disney Channel that they liked. So. Um, yeah. I'm going to pick Sling TV. Um, yeah. I use Sling TV too. Sling TV is pretty good. They also have a recording version. So you can you can watch uh, past things as well, yeah. even though they have live shows. Yeah, yeah. we're not paying for the, the DVR TiVo sly, uh, type of <laughs> functionality yet. Um, mm-hmm. we, we may get there, but for right now, you know, watching it a few days later on Hulu is good enough for us. Good enough, yeah. Um, yeah, not all the shows are on Hulu though. That I mean that that's your trade-off if you if yeah. you have something that you're anyway. So the other the other thing though is she found a coupon on Facebook that would get us uh Roku Express as part of the deal. And so they shipped us one. And what's funny is is that we have the the smart set top boxes on pretty much every TV in the house, except for the one in my office. I had a Chromecast but it was the older one, and, and all you could really do was um, mirror your mobile device onto the TV. Yeah. It didn't do anything else. And I don't know if the new ones do or not. I haven't really played with them. So anyway, so uh, I put it in my office, and, and I've been pretty happy with it. Now, the Roku Express isn't as fully featured as some of the other ones. But as far as like hooking up to the streaming services, which is all I really wanted it for, and, and doing some basic stuff like that, I'm pretty happy with it. Um, 
and it you know it does all that stuff just like everything else so we have a fire tv and we have uh, two apple tvs uh the old model and the new model and uh anyway you know they all work great um but what i'm finding is that if all you need is to stream some of those things the roku express or the amazon fire tv they're fine and they cost considerably less than like the apple tv yeah. Uh, the Apple TV has some other apps and they do other services and things like that. So if you really want the, those functionalities or you want to create your own sort of app or dashboard or something like that, that's where the Apple TV comes yeah. in. But I am I am pretty happy with the Roku Express, so I'm going to go ahead and pick that as well. Uh, Sudhendra, if people want to uh, follow up, see what you're doing now, check you out on Twitter, GitHub, maybe have a blog somewhere... What are kind of the best places for people to find you? Yeah, people can uh, people can find me on Twitter. I am Sudhindra Rao on Twitter. I do maintain a blog. Um, it is beta release.github.com. Uh, you'll find me uh, writing the random things. Uh, I have still I have not kept up uh, on writing, but I just re- recently put out a post on my learnings on healthcare uh, out there. But I'll I'll try to be better at blogging. I am starting to learn a little bit about Medium and how people are interacting and how people pick up stuff on Medium. So you may see me writing some stuff on Medium as well. Nice. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up and uh, we'll come back at everybody next week with another story. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more. 